0: Hello and welcome to The Strad Podcast, I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at Strad. Recently, I had a lovely chat with the boys from Time for Three, a violin, violin, double bass trio comprising Nick Kendall, Charles Yang, and Renan Meyer. If you've ever heard any of their music before, you'll know it's unique, blending all sorts of different styles of string playing, vocalisation, and lots of really fun music making. The guys recently released their latest album, Letters for the Future, featuring triple concertos by Kevin Putz and Jennifer Higdon. Have a listen to how they approach music making, plus listen out for their favourite techniques featured on the album. Here is Time for Three. Welcome to the Strad Podcast, Time for Three. So I've got Nick Kendall, Charles Yang and Renan Woo. Meyer joining me here today from various locations on the east coast of the USA. So we're here to talk about your new album of triple concertos, Letters for the Future, and you've also got upcoming performances of the work this summer. So I thought I'd start off by saying that a triple concerto is quite a special piece, and in a trio, I imagine, you know, you have to perform as soloists, but also maintain the synergy as a trio, as an ensemble, but against this backdrop of the symphonic orchestra, the Philadelphia (laughs) Orchestra, just casually. (laughs) So Nick, can you tell me, first of all, you know, with this in mind, having to incorporate all these different roles within the ensemble and the wider ensemble, how do you rehearse something like these triple concertos?
1: Well, uh, first of all, it's such a privilege for the three of us to be doing this and to join you in this opportunity to talk a little bit about Time for Three. And, you know, I think... For myself, I think one of the unique characteristics about Time for Three is even from the beginning of when we started, it was never a band that was supposed to be based on instrumentation or repertoire, because quite honestly, there isn't any repertoire for two violins and double bass. Of course, you know, Beethoven triple, you have Brahms double, you have, you know, even in recent times, Jesse Montgomery has written a quartet, which is soloist with a string orchestra called Banner, which is amazing. But... There isn't any rep for this instrumentation at all. And really Time for Three was founded because we were all like-minded musicians. We were all friends who happened to just play these instruments. And I think because of that, the base of which we come from, the base of which we play, is based on that chemistry. It's really three unique individuals. You interchange one individual in this group, and it changes the whole composition of the group, just kind of like a living organism. So Charles, Renan, and myself have this way of playing together. The way we hear sound, we often talk about how we love to spin our sound. So it's very much a kind of listening, I think, as one voice, but incorporating different energies and, technically speaking, different parts to create one goal one voice one storytelling and you know of course we're a band that tours quite extensively as a just a solo act but we also play with multiple different kind of backup ensembles but with orchestra you're right especially in these concerti which are masterpieces I mean we're so lucky to be in the hands of these great masters Jennifer Higdon and Kevin Putts. but we do have to think about how we have to be a unit and we have to be one so that When you're playing with a huge ensemble, it's not like three individuals have three different opinions and then everybody has to try to pick. I mean, it doesn't work that way. But again, interestingly enough, we don't speak about that kind of stuff often. We just play together and we may talk about the character of something, but it's founded on love for each other and kind of a common love of playing and groove and um, sound. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. What you said earlier about being friends, it always helps to be friends, doesn't it? So that you have that energy uh, together. So that way I I imagine you don't have to speak so much about what you're doing. You can just listen
1: and you can interact and, and be spontaneous. Don't make any mistakes about it. I mean, we're brothers, which means that in order for anything to be good, you have to accept that there are going to be multiple different opinions about stuff. And so we do get into it. I mean, we debate, we argue, I hate these guys, but I love these guys. I have a picture of them next to my bed, um, which tells you about how I feel about them. It's a human experience being part of this group. And I think one here is that I'm, I'm so proud of this recording because I think, especially with the Philadelphia orchestras, there's just so much heart and sincerity. And that comes because we're really willing to get, to get into it. This is not a job. This is, our, this is our life. I mean, we feel very lucky to have this as our life.
0: What a legendary backdrop to play against no the Philadelphia care. Orchestra. I wanted to ask Charles next about Kevin Putz's concerto, Contact. You know, that word itself, contact, illustrates poignancy of human interaction after lockdown and after pandemic. Nick's already mentioned that you guys are like brothers, you listen to each other and you rehearse together. But what was it like during the pandemic as an ensemble, having to try and keep that energy together, but being in separate places. I mean, you're in three separate places right now. How do you go about that?
2: Just kind of piggybacking off Nick, you know, we groove together. Time for Three as a live act is is just something, it's it's totally different. You know, there's one thing about the recording, there's also when we go on stage, there's an energy there that we missed during the pandemic, we totally missed as a group. You know, we found other ways to kind of feed that, You know, during the pandemic, we scored a movie, our first feature film together in separate places in our respective homes. This concerto happened. A lot of these kind of exciting new things got to happen during that time because limitations sometimes are something to work with for us. You know, when we're on the road for the last couple of years, playing live shows is great, that energy is awesome. Sometimes we were missing the creativity of just sitting down and writing. For this piece, even with Kevin's piece, we were supposed to premiere it during the pandemic. We were supposed to premiere it with the San Francisco Symphony. That didn't happen. But we got this blessing in disguise of, of being able to work on this piece with Kevin further and to also get deeper into what this piece was about. And when we found that, when we found exactly what that sound, what Kevin had in his mind, even Kevin himself was contacting us and be like, hey, what what is this? Like, can we change this? What do you what do y'all feel the second movement or what do you feel feel like this piece means to y'all? We found that together. And when we brought that to the Philadelphia Orchestra and they were willing to record that with us, that really was I would say, dream come true.
0: I can imagine it's an experience that for those people lucky enough to be able to experience is, is that feeling of space and time to have that creativity to further explore because as you say you know when you're busy you're on the road you don't always have time to right. further explore those little creative nuances so i imagine for you it it's, was sort of necessary to come to the end product that you have now
2: absolutely it was literally us may it be us writing together or even with kevin one of us would you know have an idea record it send it to the other member send it to the other member, and then f- by by the end, we'd have this sound that usually we could do together in a room, but weirdly that limitation of no one arguing, you know, <laughs> we'd all just have our own voice and then send it to the other and, and then whatnot um, was kind of, was really yeah. awesome.
0: Like many people in the pandemic, it was a good chance to really come to grips with uh, how recording gear works and, and working remotely in that way. So it's uh, another skill right. to add to a lot of people's toolkit, I suppose. I wanted to talk to Renan about the Higdon Concerto, Concerto 4-3, which weaves elements of bluegrass into the piece. When I think of bluegrass music, I think, you can correct me if this is really offensive, but I I tend to think of a double bass player slapping like a really beat-up old upright bass in a barn dance. What's your experience of playing bluegrass music? and How could you bring that into your performance of the Higdon Concerto?
3: Well, I think when Time for Three was at its very beginning, it was this release of energy where we would have um, these incredible rehearsals at the Curtis Institute of Music with this amazing teacher, Maestro, Maestro Mueller, a six foot eight towering German conductor from Germany originally that was quite serious for like, you know, 98% of the time that he was working with the student orchestra. Um, It was intense. Um, If there was a joke, it was usually at the orchestra member's expense. And after these grueling rehearsals, which were so powerful, these like minded guys from from Curtis at the time would get together and jam and we would jam based on anything other than classical music. You know, it was like it was like time to kind of escape. There's just this beautiful culture of music from the folk world, from the bluegrass world, from you know some of the later classical world that was an opportunity for us to smile you know let our hair down giggle and just enjoy each other's company through our instruments not having to use music not having to make it terribly deep and then finding our way to you know maybe a ballad that would you know all of a sudden just change our lives because of what and whomever was bringing said music to that jam session and that's really how time for three was born so out of that came time for three and we started to become known as these classical guys that sort of dabbled in folk and bluegrass and some jazz and it then led to some other curiosities kind of like this inquisitive nature of wanting to express ourselves um, in just you know different slash like-minded ways so we started to become known as like this bluegrass group but the irony in all of it is that we weren't experts in bluegrass we didn't really have a huge cultural upbringing in it you could even say that we didn't really know what we were doing we just enjoyed something about the sound and the way that our instruments could resonate together i think because of that and because of jennifer's background when we got together it led to you know something having to do with the American folk and bluegrass tradition. This, these types of things take so many people, right? I mean, we first performed an event for the Philadelphia Orchestra and Maestro Christoph Eschenbach was in the audience. And that's how the relationship began. It's like, what are these guys? Who are these guys? I wanna meet with them. What do you need? Well, we'd love a concerto because we don't have one of those. And we'd love to play it with the Philadelphia Orchestra because you guys are amazing. <laughs> a commission was born. We got together with Jennifer and she said, play all of your effects. And we started utilizing like all these different sounds on our instruments, you know, Nick playing his instrument, strumming it, you know, like a guitar or a banjo or a mandolin. Uh, Me pounding on the instrument and drumming kind of like a cajon and a percussive like technique. You know, different things like that. When you talk about slapping that old bass, you know, I was playing, you know, Renan over here. Renan over here is playing this 1892 Italian instrument, you know, from Genoa, <laughs> Italy, right next to the salami factory. It was just really cool to hear that type of sound played in a raw fashion because it's the approach, right? It's not, you know, speaking of like geeking out for a second, like it's like, Fiddle violin. What's the difference? It's sort of a mindset. Is it your upright or is it your contrabass? It's more of an attitude. And I think like with Time for Three, it was this bridge of connecting this incredible history of all this refined classical music and all of those periods into what is now and like, you know, how we can kind of progress that. So I think that's what Jennifer got excited about and was drawn to. And, and that's what the piece sounds like without hearing the piece, you know, just describing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a really great answer. I liked what you said about, you know, it's an opportunity just to, to smile, to giggle and not to get too deep. Because, you know, when you don't have those inhibitions, you can just really explore, right? You can explode in this sort of fury of creativity. And I think, I think that's the kind of mindset. So you mentioned some techniques Uh, Just then. So, I thought we'd do a quick fire round of your favorite techniques illustrated in the album. So, Nick, first of all, what's your favorite technique?
1: Oh, man. Well, I think it's something that, like Renan was talking about, and Charles, I mean, I think it's something I sort of developed. My mom is from Japan, and as a really young kid, I go over to Japan all the time. I actually went to kindergarten there, and I went to the cultural festivals in the summer. And one of the favorite things for my ears and imagination were the taiko drumming groups which were super intense sound, demon drummers to drive the demons away from the streets and the neighborhoods. And so as a young kid and all throughout high school, I wanted to play drums. My parents said, absolutely not. You're not allowed to have a drum set in the house. But because of that, I had to be inventive. So I took my dad's, my dad's a a carpenter and an architect, but he had a brilliant shop and he had all these paint buckets and trash cans. So I turned them upside down and I built my own drum set. I mean, I had a bucket band um, in high school. We played in the streets uh, to make money on the weekends. And I think because two things. One, playing in the streets uh, while I was also class- doing all my Brahms concerto, Tchaikovsky, Shostakovich, all that stuff, the intensity of the sound but also the immediacy of the energy of people gathering like strangers and just random people coming upon this sound and that energy of captivating them was really kind of like a hook for me. I, I, I couldn't leave that energy, I craved that energy. And I wanted to put that into my classical music. And soon later at Curtis, my classical studies and everything you learn from that informed my improvisation. And so I think a lot of times in this band, I really dig the rhythmical qualities. Like Renan was saying, I strum my instrument, Charles, and I have a different way of strumming our instrument, like a mandolin or guitar. which really complements each other very well in the band. If you hear the second movement of contact, you really hear that at play with Renan's acrobatics, what he does. And then Mm. I think since we're talking shop here, I found myself playing this really, I found this Varén bow from the Vium shop um, that's actually kind of heavy. And I got that right when I was playing in this band and also going to Marlboro Music Festival for the first summer and if I hold the bow at the frog, like I was taught, the actual tip was really hard. It was, like, it was like a brick when I was fiddling. So it didn't have much dexterity. So I had this idea from just watching Baroque players of hiking my bow grip up the bow. So it's actually kind of where the bow grip is. And it distributed mm. the bow weight in a different way. So I have the natural strength of just the pure weight of the bow but then I can really spin a different kind of sound. With that, I use my bow in a very rhythmic way um, that I just sort of developed. Charles, what's
0: your favorite technique on the album?
2: The pizzicato, the way Nick strums his violin with his hand, he uses his mm-hmm. thumb, you know? He uses his thumb to strum, which is a totally different sound, something that I don't know how to do. And the way I do it is I, I use, kind of like a guitar player, I use my first finger on my right hand. And i kind of use the nail and i kind of use that as a pick so you get these different kinds of pizzicato sounds that you will hear in that second movement you know there's a lot of differences of how pizzicato can sound different in in many ways i love strumming too i mean i love strumming but also i remember joining the band about six years ago and the higdon was written before i joined so i got there the first time i played the higdon The opening for the violin part, for my violin part, was just a bunch of these notations that I I didn't know what it meant. You know, I thought it was chopping. I thought it might have been like bluegrass chopping, which I, you know, I knew how to do, but it was really fast. It was just in really fast succession. And I got to rehearsal and it was actually this scratching sound. The bow hair, you, you move it in a vertical way. Instead of going horizontal, you're going vertical, so you make this kind of... Oh, yeah. But in this way, the bow doesn't actually go forward. It goes diagonally across gotcha. the strings. yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, in a scratching way. And, and that's what starts the whole Higdon piece, and I've grown to... Really nerve, nervous because this is a new technique I, I never kind of knew about. But uh, you do
1: it so well, Charles. Thank you, yeah. thank
2: you so so much. I've been practicing yeah. my scratching. My neighbor yeah. loves it. Yeah, my neighbor loves. It's a little out
1: of tune sometimes, but yeah, yeah.
2: It was, but I'm, I, I'm I was going
1: to say, any pets in the room might <laughs> protest. <laughs> right. But Charlie, you should talk about your vocals, man.
2: All of our vocals. Yeah, we love singing, and and this piece, Kevin in particular with his concerto, came to a bunch of our shows in clubs. And he just heard our sound you know which when we're a trio on our own you know we're we're singing we're songwriters Mm -hmm. as well so he took that three-part harmony and he planted that straight into the beginning of his concerto so it's such a unique way of starting a concerto and later on actually in that movement the whole philadelphia orchestra (laughs) starts singing
0: amazing they turn into a choir (laughs) great yeah (laughs) ranan what's your favorite technique on the album
3: I liked the bass for a long time but I I fell in love with this really special sound which is the sound of the 10th interval on the bass the bass sort of resonates you know like most string instruments in in very specific keys and being that the the bottom uh, you know nut area of the lowest string is generally an E and you can have an extension for that to be as low as a C when it's at the E when the capo on the extension is on E or if it only goes to the E and you play a tenth above that which is a g there's a resonance that's just like so warm and endearing that just really drew me in when i learned how to kind of stylistically play it with my my thumb and my middle finger or my thumb and my ring finger it just kind of sparkles then you could play different tenth intervals even sometimes find different voicings and and jump up so it's you know it's even an octave above the tenth I think both composers, Kevin Putz and Jennifer Higdon, gravitated towards this in their pieces. In the first movement, there's this lovely moment where, after this very magnificent, heroic beginning, we get very small. It's just the bass, and I'm playing these tense all over. And Kevin pushes with his writing, he pushes me um, by putting me in some keys that are a little more dicey, you know, and even hairy to play at times. But there's the beauty in that because it it makes it a little more difficult. And so you hear that in the way the music sort of finds itself. You can bask in the glory of that suspense to when you get back to that resonance moment, which is a special release. Mm -hmm. And then in the Hinton Concerto uh, for our cadenza, Charles, Nick and I invented this campfire like experience where uh, I play the 10th interval uh, for the whole cadenza. And I also get to accompany myself, but we get to hint at all these different thematic material within that as the tenth is is kind of moving around.
0: Nick, Charles, and Renan, thank you so much for joining me today. Telling us all about your new triple concertos and your favorite techniques. Woo! Thank you. That was Nick, Charles and Renan from Time for Three. The boys will be performing Kevin Putz's Contact on the 28th of July with the aforementioned Philadelphia Orchestra, as well as an upcoming show with Sun Valley. And check out the show notes for details on their new album. Don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles, reviews on all things to do with string play. If you like the boys' chat earlier about technique, you might want to check out our new playing hub, which features an extensive page on all aspects of technique if you like what you see and hear register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward we've got 50 off an online subscription for students and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe take out a free trial for seven days start reading right away with no strings attached and if you happen to be on apple podcasts right now give us a little review or a rating thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode take good care bye